The last line of last week's preaching text, which we looked at in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, tells us, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, the very last line that we read last week, you cannot serve God and money. And I concluded that, that sermon with three uh, points, three practical points to shift our focus from dependency upon the, the accumulation, the dependency to, to, to grow our material wealth in this world. And remember, we talked about that, that God does not condemn those for having, but he condemns us for making a priority of those things a priority of our life, making those things things that we depend on, making a priority of gaining more and more, that is what God is condemning. But, but we talked about how, how God wants to shift our focus and, and three steps that I, that I shared, that I gave, that we can take to break our focus of dependence on material things of this world were one, and we mentioned it already this morning when I talked about the tithes and the offerings, to start paying our tithe. If you're not paying tithes, one of the ways to break the focus and dependence upon the accumulation of material things is to begin to, to give an honest tithe at your next paycheck. If you are not doing that, encourage you, I encourage you to begin doing that. If you're paying tithe, but you find that, that paying tithe is easy, it's something you become accustomed to, doesn't really challenge you, then the second thing we talked about that we could do is, is to begin to, to start stretching ourselves to be more dependent on, upon God by giving more sacrificially to the work of God in specific areas. And then the third thing that we can do to, to shift our focus and to break our dependence upon the, the material accumulation of things in this world and making material things a priority of this world is, as Ellen White said, look for every opportunity to do good to others. All three of these steps are about changing our focus so that our eyes are not on the darkness of the world, but on the light of God, that we are, are being filled with the light of God. And the passage today is a continuation. Jesus is continuing to, to, to shift our minds into a greater dependence upon him. We know this because in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus says at the end of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, you cannot serve God and money. And then as Debbie just read in verse 25, Jesus begins the next statement in this way. Therefore... Therefore, you cannot serve God in money, therefore. The therefore indicates that what Jesus is about to teach us is related to the previ previous idea. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious, or as Debbie read in many of your Bible state, do not be worried about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Jesus is saying what we concluded last week. To paraphrase, Jesus, if you want me to be master of your life, you must change your focus. You must change the things that you are consumed with. That is what really anxiousness and worry is. It's, it's misappropriated or misaligned or, or, or misbalanced focus on something in your life. Worry and anxiousness is a universal condition. 
It is a universal human struggle. There are some people I know that, that, that their sins that I struggle with that they've never even struggled with at all in their life. But I have yet to meet the person that has never worried or become anxious about something. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand. And if you raise your hand, you better be under five years old. That's, that's what I know. Universally, this is a struggle that we have, anxiousness and worry. And it's based upon where we focus our thoughts and our minds. And what we focus on most ultimately also becomes what we pursue most. In fact, if you jump down to the end of this passage in, in verse 32, Jesus connects these points. He connects these points of, of what, our, what we are focused on is also what we ultimately seek. What we are worried on about is also what we are ultimately seeking. Jesus says in verse 32 of Matthew chapter 6, for the Gentiles, those are the unbelievers, they seek after all these things. And these things in this case are, are the food and the clothing and the shelter and the food and the drink. To, to Jesus, anxiousness or worry and, and that which we seek are synonymous. They are the same thing. Jesus tells us in verse 24, you cannot serve two things. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and material things. How? This is what Jesus is continuing, by ceasing to worry. What is worry? It is seeking uh, after the wrong things or seeking the right things in the wrong way. In this illustration and what Jesus is speaking about, what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. But we may say, wait a second, drinking, Clothing, eating, these are important things in life. These are, these are staples of, of, of life. How can these things be wrong? They aren't wrong in and of themselves, just like, the, just like people who have wealth. It's not wrong in, in and of itself that, that, that they have wealth. Things become wrong when they become a distraction to that which is of utmost importance in life. In fact, the Welsh preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he, he points out that, that the Greek word here for worry or anxiousness, that we translate worry or anxiousness, is a word that's used other places in the scripture to indicate something that divides or separates or distracts us. In the previous section of scripture, Jesus taught us to avoid being obsessed with the accumulation of, of worldly things, what, what Jesus referred to treasures on earth. But now, Jesus teaches us that, that not only can we be distracted by abundance and the accumulation of abundance, but we can also be distracted by the everyday needs and the everyday mundane things of life. In fact, probably for the vast majority of us, more of our worry is about just the everyday ins and outs of life and less about the abundance of life. Jesus teaches, don't be consumed and focused on the abundance of things. Don't be distracted by these things. But he also says, don't be consumed and distracted by just the everyday aspects of life. And he uses this to illustrate by the food, the drink, and the clothing. And Jesus uses the illustration of the birds, Dorothy, and the flowers to help us to understand why we should not be worried. He tells us he provides for them, so he will provide for us. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? 
And then verse, jumping down to verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then Jesus ends this little section right here by making this statement, O you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Jesus in these statements is not wanting us to consider ourselves, the birds, or the flowers. We are not being equated with the, the birds or the flowers. What he is wanting us to do, what he asks us to do, is to look at them and consider something about them. And to understand, what he's saying is, understand this, if the creator of the universe if the creator of the heavens and the earth cares about the simple little things of life, birds and flowers, how much more will he care about the crowning point of his creation, which, by the way, is you, humanity? If God cares about these things that we barely give mind to, when I see a bird lying dead on the side of the road, if my middle son, Landon, who loves all animals and all creatures and is very worried about even if I step on a bug. I think about it then. But if he's not with me, I see it and I pass by and it barely give it a thought. If I, if I happen to step on a flower as I'm walking somewhere, I don't really go home and ponder that I stepped on that flower and think about that flower. And yet the Bible tells us that, that Jesus is fully aware of those things, those little things. That the birds that fall from the heavens, Jesus is aware of it. That, that the flowers and, and their splendor and how they're made, Jesus is aware of them. He's telling us, why do you not trust me that I'm aware of what is going on in your life as well? And as I said, Jesus ends this section by saying, oh, you of little faith. He's saying to us, have more faith that I understand. Have more faith that I will provide. Have more faith that, that I will take care of you. Have more faith that I care about you than even more about you than these things of creation. Now I want to pause here and I want to go into a tangent. So stay with me. This is an intentional tangent. I know sometimes I go on unintentional tangents, but this is an intentional tangent. Because as I study this passage and as I read different literature on this, this text causes issues for people. Because when we read it as, as just a kind of a, a cursory, uh, a quick reading of it, it, it looks like it is sane. It looks like it is sane that if we just trust God and have faith in God, then we'll always have food. If we just trust God and, and we have faith in God, then we'll, then we'll always have clothing and shelter in our lives. If we just trust God and have faith in God, then, then he'll always protect our life. And when I read that passage and I read it in that way with that mindset and that uh, focus, it causes troubling questions in my mind. As someone who ponders the social elements of the world, and I know many of you do as well, we must acknowledge that this text causes some difficulties. Maybe it doesn't cause us that live in, in a first world nation that, that, that have, uh, have these things on a consistent basis. 
Maybe it doesn't cause us much question if we just read it and go on by, but, but we know that there's people that around the world that this is not the case. This text makes it sound, this text almost makes it sound like, like if people trust God, then they'll always have food. If people trust God, then they'll always have clothing. But here is what I know. According to the latest studies by the World Health Organization, 3.1 million children die every year from hunger. Not adults, children, 3.1 million. They're not like you and I where, where, where we miss a meal or two and we say, man, I'm starving to death. They literally are starving to death. There are millions of people, million, hundreds and millions of people in this world that are, that are suffering from a lack of, of material things, a lack of proper clothing. I got a little excited this week about the fact that I saw that Amazon Prime sale is coming out. Did any of you see that? Some of you saw that. And, and I've never even bought anything from, from Amazon Prime sale. And yet, for some reason, when I read it and that they're extending the hours by 36 hours, I thought, oh, that's cool. I've never even bought it. But I thought, well, now if I want to buy something, I have 36 more hours to think about it. And yet I recognize, as David Bornstein, the author, writes, for very poor people, clothing is shelter. In earthquakes, the shake kills people. In a tsunami, the water kills people. But in winter, the cold does not kill people. It's the lack of proper clothing. How do I reconcile this teaching in Matthew chapter 6 with those realities? If my mind is like, well, God, if we just trust in you and have faith in you, then we'll have food, we'll have clothing. How do I recon uh, reconcile those realities of suffering in this world with this passage? First, we should acknowledge that this is a hard question without easy answers. But we should look at the, an the question because, because when we ignore these things, those that, that read them and have those questions, we don't address them and what they're going through in their life. What I can't do, what I can't do and what, what, what I am not comfortable doing is simply saying, well, those people must not trust God enough. Nonsense. A baby that dies of hunger doesn't even know how to trust yet. Nonsense. A child that has no clothing in winter, it's not about trusting God. That's, that's nonsense. So what is this actually saying? Because the God I know, the God I love, the God that loves me, the God that loves my children teaches me in the book of Psalms and teaches me in the book of Jeremiah that, that when a child is still in the womb before we even recognize that that child is in the womb, God loves and cares for that baby. And so surely it's not about a child trusting God more or the faith of a child. So here are the two positions that I will share with you that, that help me to understand this passage in light of the overwhelming suffering in, the, in our world. The passage tells us, is speaking to us about being free from worry. And as the great Baptist minister John Stott stated, being free from worry is not the same thing as being free from trouble. Jesus is not addressing trouble and struggle in this passage. We're told very clearly in Scripture that in this world you will have trouble. And even if we read this passage clearly, Jesus is, is not saying that I'll remove the trouble. In fact, when we read the passage, he's saying, don't worry because I know what's going on in your life. Don't worry just as I know what's going on with the birds and just as I know what's going on with the flowers. I know what is going on in your life. We read it and say, 
God's saying, don't worry because he's going to just take care of everything and it's going to be some magic thing. No, that's not what he's saying. In fact, in the passage itself, in the passage itself, there are statements about the trouble that exists in this world. There are statements about the trouble. What does it say to us? It tells us God knows when a bird, what, falls from the sky. In other words, the birds, they have trouble. God knows when a flower, he speaks of the flowers and how wonderful they are, but what happens to the flowers in the passage? They are plucked up and thrown into the fire. And even the conclusion of the entire passage that, that we have here, it says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its what? Own trouble. Being free from worry and being free from trouble are two different things. Jesus is encouraging us to not add to the burdens that already exist in this world, that already exist in our lives through worry. Now that is the easy and more simplistic of the two answers I have in regard to this passage. The second one maybe takes a little bit more personal responsibility and maybe it's harder for us to hear, but maybe it's one that we need to hear more of. Here's the truth. The number one cause of hunger in this world, the number one cause of poverty that leads to a lack of clothing in some individuals' lives is not a lack of divine provision. It is based on the sinful decisions of humanity to create inequity within our society. Humans have made decisions that not only have created financial inequity, but have literally damaged the earth and so that the earth is not functioning the way it should in this world. God has provided amply, and we say, well, if we just have faith, God will take care of it all. But we as humanity in our freedom of choice have hoarded and damaged and wasted the resources that God has provided to the point that in some parts of this world, the earth is not functioning the way that it should. And folks, this is not a political statement. It is a biblical statement. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 teaches us and tells us, Paul tells us that, that the earth groans under the weight of sin, and he's not talking about humanity there. He's talking about the actual earth, the actual physical earth. Paul tells us in, in Romans chapter 8 that the earth is waiting just as we as humans are waiting to be set free from the bondage of decay that it is suffering as a result of sin. This is not a political statement. This is a biblical statement that we've made choices that have caused there to be famine and hunger and suffering in our earth. In our earth. We cannot be, we cannot be Bible-believing conservative Christians and embrace Paul's teaching on human sexuality and his, and his statements against uh, uh, same-sex uh, interaction in Romans chapter 1 and then deny Romans chapter 8. They're both written by the same author. And likewise, we cannot deny Romans chapter 1 and then embrace Romans chapter 8. They're in the same book, written by the same author. So when I read Matthew 6, I see that I, what I see when I have these questions is I see that I have personal responsibility as a follower of Christ that I can't ignore that I must in some way play a role in feeding and clothing humanity. Not saying, well, you must have more faith, but literally, I have a role to play in feeding and clothing humanity. 
because it is not a lack of divine provision, but it is because of the sinful choices of humanity of which I am a part of that have contributed to the suffering in this world. Okay, my tangent's over, and I'll breathe for a second. But something for us to think about. Because I read some of these commentaries, and I read liberal scholars, and, and they disregard the teachings of Jesus because Christians are not answering these questions that they have. And we need to be honest with it and say that is a troubling question. But it's not because of God's divine lack of provision. It's because of our sinfulness. But we examine this passage, and, 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 and we look at this, and, and we, we recognize that God is calling us to something more. And that's what this passage is actually teaching us about. Though the issues we just spoke of, they, they lead us into the next segment of the passage. Rather than worrying or being distracted by, by, by the everyday things of life, spending our time seeking the everyday things of life, our ambitions, this passage is calling for our ambitions to be much larger than that, to be kingdom-sized ambitions, to be, to, be, to be the kingdom of God ambitions. Verse 33 in Matthew chapter 6. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first, verse 33, the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now this is important because Jesus doesn't say never seek after food. He doesn't say never seek after water, never seek after clothing. But he says seek first the kingdom of God of God. He's saying you're worried. Maybe it's because you're pursuing and being distracted by the everyday things of life. And I want you first and foremost to seek the things of the kingdom of God. To seek the kingdom of God is to seek the principles and, and the movements and the, and, and, the, and the teachings of God's kingdom. To seek the kingdom of God is, is, is very practical and very real for us. It's not simply something that's, that's, that's mystical and, and, and and, and far off. When God says seek the kingdom of God, he's not simply saying that we should look wistfully towards heaven and, and, and watch and hope that we see that small cloud no bigger than the size of a man's hand coming out of Orion's belt. That's not what seeking the kingdom of God is. He's not saying that we should spend all our time just praying for the kingdom of God, although we should do these things. To seek the kingdom of God is to put the principles of God, to seek the principles and the, and the teachings of God and to live those out here on this earth in a very practical way. For instance, when a parent, when a parent makes the choice, you know what, we're not gonna listen to that music. We're not gonna watch that program in our home. We're not gonna let our kids play those video games anymore. We're gonna take time to put those things aside and, and we're gonna put into that time more time in which we're talking about God and we're learning about God and we're serving God as a family. When, when parents make that decision, they are, in the truest of sense, seeking the kingdom of God first and foremost in their life. When a, when a teenager or, or, or a single person says, you know what, I'm not going to, to, to be sexually active before I'm married. They are seeking the kingdom of God and the principles of the kingdom of God. If a single person says, you know what? It seems like I'm not getting married, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay celibate. I'm gonna stay, stay committed to God and his causes and trust him for strength to help me through this journey in this life, knowing that something's better is coming when Jesus returns. 
that person is seeking the kingdom of God. When the husband or the wife that is struggling with pornography says, you know what, I'm not going to watch pornography anymore. I'm going to put this stuff out of my life because I recognize that it damages my relationship with Jesus. I recognize that it damages my relationship with my spouse. That spouse is seeking the things of the kingdom of God. When we go up to a colleague at our workplace and we put our arm around them and they're struggling with something and we, we tell them, we love you. We're praying for you. When we're walking through these, these, these halls of our church and, and we see that someone's struggling, and we pause just for a moment to put our arm around someone and love someone and say, we value you, we care about you. We're seeking practically the things of the kingdom of God. When we say, you know what, I'm gonna rise 30 minutes early tomorrow because I want to spend more time praying and talking to the Lord. We are seeking the kingdom of God. When we respond to God's call to, to leave what is comfortable and to go somewhere as missionaries, to go to a new place, to go to a new neighborhood, to, to be witnesses and servants to God, we are seeking the kingdom of God. Seeking the kingdom of God is not abstract. It is changing our ambitions, the focus of our everyday life from the treasures of this world, from the mundane things of this world, to God and his principles first and foremost. That is seeking the kingdom of God. We're not just seeking the kingdom of God because we showed up here. We're not just seeking the kingdom of God because we call ourselves Christians. We're seeking the kingdom of God when, when through our everyday life, we're not consumed with the worry of everyday life, but rather our everyday life is about seeing where we can follow the principles of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. But then there's this added note in this passage. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when I read the passage, I thought, okay, do I just combine the kingdom of God? Aren't the kingdom of God and his righteousness one and the same thing? And I was praying about this, and I want to share with you what the Lord convicted me of. And I think it's pertinent for this church, maybe more than any others. Because I am a paid professional kingdom of God seeker. And some of you are as well. In fact, more in this church probably than most other churches. Many of us are paid to seek the things of the kingdom of God. Jason and I are going to pick up uh, a car at the mechanic the other day, and, and we're talking about church, and we're talking about this person, and how do we reach this, and how do we do this, and da-da-da-da-da. And, and I talked to Christina and said, can we talk about something besides just church stuff? I mean, that's what I do. I'm paid to, to think about, to talk about, to, to ponder the things of the kingdom of God. I love it. But here's what I know. Sometimes us paid kingdom of God seekers, we're the most worrisome lot of all of y'all. And I was convicted as I was reading this passage, I was convicted of this. Chad, you could read this passage and pass it by because you are a kingdom of God seeker. But you also need to seek my righteousness. You also need to seek my righteousness. And that applies to all of us, but I, but, I, but I would say here for a moment just to those that are like me, that are paid professional kingdom of God seekers. Are we pursuing God's righteousness also? Are we seeking God's righteousness also? If we are, then why are we so worried? Why are we so anxious 
When I thought about this, I thought about all the times that I've worried about the things of God. And I can tell someone else, you need to seek first the things of God. You need to, you need to be witnesses. You need to give. You need to, you need to pray with others. You need to do your devotions. And God says to me, and also, Chad, you need to be mindful to do all these things with the right motives, with the right heart, with the right relationship, with the right humility, with the right submission. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness means to do the right thing. It's about being holy. It's about being holy. And as we're seeking to do the right things, we still want to do them with the right heart through Jesus Christ. We're about to sing a song, and in that song, it talks about how Jesus is calling us to arise and to go to him. And in the third stanza, it says, our only need, our only, the only requirement to go to Jesus is to feel our need of him, to feel our need of him. And I would tell you, if you're someone that struggles with worry, if you're someone that struggles with anxiousness, recognize that is a sign of your need for Jesus. And surrender that and say, Jesus, I want, I want to be consumed by you. Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 11, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. As I read this this passage and as I study this passage, I recognize that, that Oh, you of little faith is not about me doing more, 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 but oh, you of little faith is about me seeking Jesus more and more and more. And as Jesus becomes more and more a part of my life, so will the kingdom of God and so will his righteousness.